0: Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Oprah Winfrey and I'm Gail King. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm so glad we finally sorted that out.
0: I feel a new sense of serenity with our Oprah Gail like having having like fully locked down our Oprah Gail role dynamic. Gail, am I running for office? You know, I think that's up to you, but knowing you intimately as I do, I think what you really want is to stay home and supervise other people tending your garden. Honey Graham, hold on, please. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. This just becomes like an Oprah Gale cosplay like show. (laughs) I (laughs) know.
1: Anyway. um, Hi, Anne. How's it going? Hi, Amina. What are we talking about Today? Today? We are going to talk about what we affectionately refer to as our Lady Web and Friendship.
0: Is this a very special episode?
1: <laughs> this is a very, very special episode of a very, very special episode of Call Your Girlfriend. Don't do drugs, kids.
0: <laughs> Don't do drugs. Go through with the abortion. We support you. Like <laughs> <laughs> definitely leave your like abusive household. Like all the very special episode tropes apply. <laughs>
1: A little bit later in the episode, we're going to talk to Kayleen Schaefer about her book, Text Me When You Get Home. But first, Anne, can you explain what the lady Web is?
0: Uh, okay, so the lady Web is, it's sort of like shine theory in that it is a word that we have used among ourselves for quite some time to describe a phenomenon that we experience in friendship but as far as I'm aware, it is not like a commonly held, I don't know. Like I haven't, I should do a Google for Lady Web. But basically, we're now in the realm of vocabulary used by like us personally. <laughs> That's the important thing to know up front. <laughs> right. This is us not and like seven people. It's not like us explaining an internet trend. Like, no, this is legit just a like a personal concept in our friendship. This is a chat trend. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a G chat trend of the past like eight years in in our friendship. Yeah, essentially it's a way of thinking about the ways our like sprawling friendship social network functions in reality. So like a lot of times when you see social media are like outward representations of what fr- women's group friendship dynamics look like it looks like like squad goals or it looks like a set group of people or like the sex in the city model of like a fixed group of friends. So I'm trying to think of other examples, but like essentially like you could easily photograph it and hashtag it and it is pretty fixed.
1: And it has a fixed group of members. Right. Uh, and yeah, like it fits in like an Instagram caption post. <laughs> right.
0: The lady web is none of those things. <laughs> um, it, is, it is our way of sort of acknowledging that, just to use us as an example, before we became friends, we each had this kind of like dynamic network of friends on our own. And when you and I became very close and started introducing all of those friends to each other, the way that that network looked for us individually changed. So like we had this like overlap network of people who were kind of like equally mutual friends. Like you have people who are kind of primarily your people, but like I know them and care about them because they're still connected to me and my web and like vice versa. It's basically big and sprawling. Yes. And interconnected.
1: And it's also like in a dumb way, like an acknowledgement that like your people have their people and that those friendships are just as important as your friendships but also, the selfish way to look at it is that it's like all it's basically like looking at all of the potential ways that you were connected to all these other great women.
0: yeah. so, like, I remember when I was moving away from d c, which is the city where we met and where we had forged like a common node of our web. <laughs> i was I was moving away, and it was like, I'm moving to a different corner of of my web slash our shared web. It's like not like, this idea of like I'm dipping out of the squad or I'm gone forever because that is not an operable metaphor in our lives. It's like I'm sort of strengthening the overall web because I'm moving to a different part of it and like our bond is going to remain remain strong anyway. This is kind of hard to talk about without like actually literally visualizing a web and like drawing it out, you know? It's like if you see those conspiracy theory art things that like show <laughs> how all corporations are connected and stuff, that's like kind of how I picture it only with like humans we love. <laughs> I
1: mean, there's like a data viz tool that we're obsessed with that actually did this for us.
0: Oh, my God. Talk about it.
1: Um, the, it's called the MIT Immersion Tool. Yes. Am I saying it right?
0: Yep. That's the um, one.
1: where basically you can plug in your Gmail. LOL. You're definitely giving your data to somebody. Um, that's a different (laughs) problem. Uh, How do you learn about
0: yourself without giving your data to someone? Like, let's be real. (laughs) I know.
1: But anyway, so you plug in your Gmail and it tells you like, uh, who are the people that you email with the most, but also like breaks it down in a way that is like mind blowing. It's like who introduced you to that person. And then you can also like see that through time. And so it's really interesting. We are the center of each other's fence.
0: <laughs> we are the giant <laughs> glowing sun in the center of each other's ne- networks. <laughs> I know. But the
1: thing that has been like really fascinating to me is how like true it is that like uh, because of like the digital ways that we all communicate um, that like the, it, it's been like fairly accurate about like who is the person that introduced you to this person? When was the first time you emailed with them? How much has that changed over time? And like for us at least has been like a really accurate representation of how our friendships have like ebbed and flowed. It's like you can see every time you start a new job or if you start dating a new person or you... Um, you know like make a new friend or whatever and uh, and see how like everybody's connected even the people that you feel are not connected at all like I definitely have like you know some like lonely constellations of like oh like this is a friend that I know through this like very specific way or whatever it's so fascinating to see how it all like plays with each other yeah you
0: know the way that your email will be like when you email two friends who you always see movies with and it suggests a third friend who you like to see movies with and it just knows, like, you know, would you like to also add, like, this person? It's sort of like that principle, but, like, times a million. And you can slide, yeah, the fact that you can slide a bar across the bottom and move through time and see your network change, it's not, again, like you say, it's not 100% accurate, but it is pretty revealing. And I think, like, we had, I can't remember, I think we had been using this Lady Web tool, like, term before... This MIT thing popped up, which would have been in like 2011 or 2012, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, like, once you can see it, it becomes it becomes real. It becomes like a thing to talk about, you know, as you discuss like friends and friendships and challenges and that sort of thing.
1: The reason I like the illustration <laughs> is that you know it just like really pushes against like what the the like popular narrative of female friendship is. Like, I'm so glad that you brought up Sex in the City. Because, yeah, you know, I'm, like, four friends. Every once in a while, you meet some of their other friends. A lot of times, they're gay men. But they, like, never really brought in, like, who are the other people that these people are interacting with, that they're just as
0: intimate with. No, they would do them as, like, negative foils. It was always, like, their friends who were making life choices they disagreed with.
1: Exactly. And I find that, like, so hard to believe. I'm just, like, this— It is not possible that you have three friends, like, that are your, like— this is your squad, and then you are in this weirdo cocoon. You know, maybe it's true. Like, but e- but that's not true. That's like technically what a sorority sells you. But at the end of the day, the sorority is actually like the best illustration of the lady web. I'm like, no, you have like one million sorority sisters if you look at the entire like panhellenic like spectrum, <laughs> and then like they all go on to be like important women who like you know what I mean. I'm like, even this is not accurate. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, and it is is—it is an interesting thing, too, because like what what does like social media hate? What does like popular television narrative hate? Like complexity. Like this is the sort of thing where if you were to make a movie or a TV show that accurately reflected how diverse and and ever changing and like all the different types of friendships that most people have, it would be... Like, kind of impossible. You're like, wait, like, who is that one person? You know how when you're getting to know a friend and they, like, every time they mention someone they know from another part of their life, they're like, yeah, like, Jane, my friend who did that one thing on the camping trip that time, like, you know, or like whatever, like, (laughs) you know, like. Right. It's like my version of girls would have 37 women in it. (laughs) Right. And I think that like, you know, like, like the last episode where we were talking about that we move a lot. Like, I think both of our webs are bigger and more complex because of that. Like, I think that people who have been in one place for longer naturally tend, not always, but like tend to have like slightly smaller or like less complicated, like, dynamics in this way because they haven't moved and reestablished their social world enough times or as many times right it's harder to make art that like distills this reality I guess so you don't see it as often
1: right but it's also like you know part of the reason that people don't make art that distills this reality is because it like it just means that like women are complicated, like, very reasonable people. Wait, they're what? <laughs> actually, like, you know, <laughs> who are not actually, like, in competition with all the women in their lives. It's like, no, no, it's possible to, like, root for all of your girlfriends.
0: Right. Oof. Yeah. And, um, like, especially early on when we talked about this, we felt that the metaphor was kind of only upsides if that like at least that's definitely how I felt your friends are my friends too like I through each of my friends get to tap into other like interesting groups of people or women and I think that like we've been talking about this quite a bit lately that it actually is also really complicated and difficult like when you when you introduce your friends to each other or when you're like third parties in both of your lives are interacting with you and with each other. And like, and that is another thing. It's like the basic depiction of like squad goals in fighting or like mean girls style stuff is it's, it's not false that like women have conflict with each other and women's friendships involve conflict and difficulty. It's just, it often looks a lot different than it is depicted.
1: It's true. It's like, what do you do with your friends, friends? Like,
0: uh, you know, I definitely feel that they're like cool in-laws. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's totally fine to have favorites of your friend's friends.
1: Totally. I'm like, they're like cool in-laws. You know, like they're the in-laws that you could smoke pot with for sure, you know, but they're still your in-laws. So you got to respect them. So <laughs> those dynamics get really complicated. And also they're complicated by the fact that like we suck at communicating and like talking about what actually we need to be talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean it's not like it's not like it's the sort of thing that happens in real time where it's not socially acceptable to just offer commentary on your friends' friends, right? Like I have never been in a situation where I'm like, guess what? Like this person who is your bestie from college is someone who who like whose values i don't like or whose like style of hanging out i don't like that's not a thing that feels appropriate to bring up and like often like probably it isn't if there isn't a conflict and then when there is a conflict with that person where you're like wow i actually don't want to go to this thing because this person that i don't like is going to be there but i don't know how to tell our mutual friend you know then it's like harder to talk about cuz you haven't brought it up before like it's a very like weird thing especially when your politics are like ours are like default to like non-caddy non-gossip as much as possible
1: totally it's like very waspy in a sense (laughs) it really is right it's like you know like we we take a lot of pride in being like low drama mamas but i'm like "Mm," like part of that is also that we're cowards right and and that we bury a lot of
0: our conflicts with like each other and mutual friends yeah
1: i'm like this seems fine like i you know if if everybody's like nominally happy like am i really gonna dig in here not really and also the other thing is that sometimes it is just context right it's almost like when your friends are dating and they just like only tell you the great things about their boyfriend <laughs> and then, you know, or the person that they're dating, I guess. And then all of a sudden something catastrophically bad happens and you're like, this great guy? Like, what do <laughs> you mean? You know, it's like sometimes it's just a lack of information. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is challenging. It's also like challenging in the sense that it can perpetually make you feel like you are 15. I feel like most friendship fights are like none of it is sophisticated. It all goes back to like the same fights you were having in high school.
0: I'm so relieved that when I was in high school no one told me all of life is basically high school because I would have dropped out like of life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. My god, I know. It is. You're just like a lot of the a lot of this mirrors high school in a way that like I don't even think that that like that should be insulting to anyone. It's just like no, we're just not that complicated. These things are the same things that you will have conflict about. They just take different dimensions.
0: Right. And you You can. Now you're not upset about like,
1: yeah, it's like now you're not upset about like not being invited to the sleepover. You'll be upset about not being invited to the champagne brunch. It's the same thing.
0: Yeah. Um, And also, like, I think that there's an assumption that you'll get better at dealing with that or talking about it. And it's like, oh, actually, you have to practice conflict in order to get better at dealing with it. It's like, you don't just get older and then therefore are like better at dealing with the complexities of like interconnected friend groups. It's like, no, no, like you you have to learn that the hard way.
1: I know, you know, like recently you and I had like a really real talk about something. And I remember like my overwhelming <laughs> sense of leaving that talk was, wow, you know, like we, I I thought I've had a lot of real talk in my life, but this is actually the first time I've had real talk in my <laughs> life and just like realizing how conflict averse I am and just like completely run away from all sorts of like friendship, conflict, responsibility, That was the thing that was, like, very humbling. I was like, wow. I, like, I knew that I did this, but, like, hearing it was, like, a different story.
0: Oh, my God. And I think that, like, so the point about that, like, the only way it was possible for us to have, like, a real talk conversation about, like, difficulties we've had with each other when it comes to, like friends on both sides, like third parties. Third parties in this friendship, I will refer to them as. Um, I know, I'm like, I'm just the platform. Like, why is this my problem? (laughs) Right, but I think that the only reason we were able to have that conversation is because it was damaged from, like, years ago, you know? I mean, like, I I mean, speaking for myself, I felt like I could be more real with you because it felt like we were through those woods a little bit. But, like, when you're in it and feeling like, oh, like, the wound is fresh, I was just hurt or, like, confused in real time about that and other things, I'm confident, like, that we are going to be better in the future because we had that conversation. But it also, like, wasn't even possible when we were, when there was drama in real time. Like, we hate drama so much.
1: (laughs) no way you know like and yeah and we're both babies when it comes to that stuff so (laughs) was clearly like are you kidding me but you know at the same time i'm just like but how much grief would we have saved ourselves if we had just removed the band-aid in real time right you know like not like hindsight 2020 vision for sure but i'm really glad that we're like over a lot of that stuff and you know whatever but at the same time i'm just like wow it like really didn't need to go on for that long
0: yeah and i think what's hard about it is when in my head, I don't really have like a hierarchy of friends, like in the sense of like, here's my number one friend. Here's my number two friend. Here's my number three friend. I mean, there are obviously some <laughs> friends that are closer. Closer Who than Who is others. number 19? Who is 19? Oh my God, I know. It's why I will never have a wedding because I feel like weddings are like, whatever. Anyways, sidebar. But, um, <laughs> but you know, like like there is, there is a sense of when you talk about different corners of the lady web of like, okay, like frankly, there are some... Really old, really close friends the whole, the mindy kaling bestie is a tier like philosophy is one I subscribe mm-hmm. to, but like once once I'm outside of that tier of like okay, you're in it for life like you would you would probably have to murder someone else close to me for me to like truly cut you off forever, like like you know everyone else is kind of complicated and and sometimes you're still. Pr- in the process of figuring out what your friendship means to someone and if they have a problem with a different friend it's like okay wait like how do I begin to sort out these varying corners of my my web like that are that are in conflict totally totally
1: you know and I think that that's like a place that like we are very different because I definitely subscribe to like you know tiers of friendship kind of model which I I couldn't even articulate to you what those tiers are I just know them in my gut you know Uh, so it's not to say this is a scientific method by any means, but like, I know that like, for me, I, I just like, you it's like you would have to do like very little to somebody that I love for me to want to murder you (laughs) like it's not about like killing someone I'm just like no
0: this is the general you you, not me right I'm like yeah yeah "Hmm." like a general the general (laughs) you no
1: like you don't do any of that stuff you and Friedman but you know what I mean and I was like but like going back to the thing about how all of life is high school I'm like this is a learned behavior you know it's like, surprise, <laughs> Like early friendship patterns determine like later friendship patterns. Right. And I was like, no, I was like, I was definitely that way. I was a kid that was bullied. And then I like got bigger than the bullies and I hated them. And I like will protect my people till the end of time, you know. And that's the thing that I like didn't realize was like something that had like cropped up. For me, the easiest way to make me not like somebody is if they say something remotely negative about somebody that I like. I'm like, nope, sorry. Like, you're done. And, uh, you know, it's like that's kind of an unreasonable standard to have. (laughs) I I, like fully recognize that. But also I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, everybody has their thing. That is my thing.
0: Right. And I admire that. Nobody
1: comes from my people.
0: And I admire that. And I'm also working with like some ingrained Midwest nice, which is like, you know, not always what the title implies, which is to say that, like, okay... I want to be right with everyone in my world, like personally. And it takes me a long time to see first, but then second, like address the depth of problems between people who I care about. And I think that that is like 100% like conflict aversion, partially due to like cultural stuff about the way I was raised and like partially just due to like, you know, cowardice. You know, (laughs) like it's like, there's like a lot of different, I don't know. One of the reasons why metaphors like squad girls are so, or squad girls, listen to me, squad goals are so (laughs) inaccurate is, like, they do not really get at the kind of complexity of the problems that crop up with people who are outside your friendship directly.
1: 100%. And, you know, the other thing about this conversation that it's, like, making me think is that, like, 90% of the battle, honestly, is just having the talk about it. It's that, like, it's totally okay to have, like, different values from your other close friends, I mean, like values as it pertains to like this stuff. I don't mean like like don't go crazy making friends with like <laughs> people who don't share your politics, left and right. But you know, like it's totally okay. And I think that a lot of times, like where the wound comes from, it's literally from lack of communication, right? Or and yeah, from, like, about not, expectations, and, and means, from like so. yeah, and from not being heard, right? And it's like wow. Friendship like all relationships like something you have to work at because that's the other thing about squad goals I think that really uh, drives me nuts is that everybody makes it look really easy and seamless and that's something that like we have to contend with a lot of times because we like we have had a public friendship. Where people just think that it's like wonderful and glorious and whatever, which it is actually. I'm like,
0: it is wonderful and glorious. But it's also maddening and difficult and like sad and frustrating sometimes. Like, anytime you say
1: anything about Assad Khaled, I'm like, is this the last day that we're gonna be friends?
0: You've (laughs) had a lot of questions about whether it's the last day we're going to be friends.
1: You know, like, is this it? But you know what I mean? It's like, no, we're just like everybody else. Like, we have, uh, you know, like, we have strife. We have, like, we have a complicated relationship, right? I just, I really resent presentations of friendship that are just like, oh, my God, everything they do is amazing, even though everything we do do is amazing.
0: But (laughs) I'm hearing the contradictory (laughs) messages you are putting out right now.
1: (laughs) know like I don't want to make it seem like you know I, I think I'm tender about it because like clearly like I think that we have a very healthy friendship but I think that where it makes me uncomfortable is when people like uh when they just make assumptions or uh what's that psychological thing like when you put your own expectations on someone Transference?
0: Is that what that is? I don't know. I don't think it's
1: that one. It's another one of those. Okay. You know, like ultimately, like all of those presentations, like all go back to just making people feel inadequate, and that's garbage.
0: Well, and and some of this is just like um, projection, projection, projection. There you go. Well, yeah. Speaking of projections, it's like you know, it's hard to put up an Instagram post that's like, I just had a really difficult real talk with my friend, like, versus, like, a photo of the two of you being cute and having a great time. Like, there's a reason why, like, (laughs) narratives about, like, like, the ease of friendship get perpetuated because it's, like, it is without, like, you know selling out your friendship, it's difficult to talk about like the vulnerabilities and difficulties that you have worked through. And I think another thing we've talked about a lot is that actually, if we started this podcast at a different phase of our friendship, like let's say when we were like deep honeymoon period, like one year in, if we'd started this podcast, maybe some of those perceptions about how like our friendship is like not not at all like ever experienced or been through a conflict would be accurate because like sometimes it takes a while, especially when you're very like compatible friends in a lot of other ways, it takes a while for the complications of your various lady webs and like the depths of like, you know, the issues that you're facing to reveal to you the ways in which you are different and the ways in which you're going to have conflict. And so I think, you know, a lot of friendships die on the shoals of first big fight. (laughs) Right, and I mean, and it
1: did take us a long time to have like first conflict. And that's okay too. It like friendship is hard. <laughs> this is what I'm learning. It is not all like amazingness all the time. It's like you have to work at it. Right. Okay, so, you know, I told you earlier I talked to this awesome lady, Kayleen Schaefer, about a book that she has out called
0: Text Me When You Get Home. The subtitle is The Evolution and Triumph of Modern Female Friendship. So, you know, we're interested. And this book is so good. First of all, Text Me
1: When You Get Home. Is that not the most genius title for a book about, friend, like, modern woman friendship?
0: I won't that lie word? to you. I did have the thought, text me while you're getting home. Text me when you get home. Text me after you get home. <laughs> like, like, maybe I would have a wordier title if it were me. But I hear you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and then you, like, you'll basically, like, hear Kayleigh and talk about, like, all it is, right? One part of it is about, like, safety, which one of us is not worried about the other when we walk home. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but also really on the flip side, it's just an invitation to keep talking more to someone. Mm-hmm. That feels like deeply romantic to me. So uh, Kayleen's book Duh, is about like women's friendships. And there is a lot of really good like historical research and sociological observations that I think anybody who listens to this podcast will really enjoy. And uh, and she talks about her own journey, too, and her own friendships, which, like, was really eye-opening for me. Like, she grew up as someone who was definitely not, like, a, I love having women friends, I have many women friends type of person. We went to the same college, which makes me very happy. Hook em horns. <laughs> you know, but, like, in college, she joined a sorority that she'd then quit. And so it's, like, she was always, like, around women and was very aware of this, like, a... Uh, narrative of competition that she was supposed to have with other women and then in adulthood like a lot of that changed you know surprise surprise it was like on the heels of a of a big breakup which um you know is like usually a good transition time for you one of the monumental friendships that she discusses with uh with her friend Ruthie who is awesome shout out Ruthie is somebody that she worked with and then they got closer to but I just like love that it's like a narrative of making friends like a little later in life you know like they're not in high school they're not in college they're not like new co-workers it's like yeah these yes. are like ladies in their 30s like becoming friends and everything that they mean to each other watching like kayleen's eyes open to the fact that like somebody who is her friend can also be like her person in the world
0: yeah you know, and, and what are
1: the what are the many ways that you like signal this right and all the ways that, like, policy, like, essentially, like, fails us. <laughs> the most important person in my life is my friend, not my, like, romantic partner or the person I assign taxes with, <laughs> you know. And I talked to her for the book, and that's something that we that we talked about um, a lot, because that's a, thing, that's a thing that I think about a lot, a lot, a lot. And Wait, you're in this just,
0: book? Oh, my God. I am in this book, girl. Wow. Um, I'm I rushing, <laughs> rushing to a bookseller. <laughs> that's why I picked
1: it just kidding it's just like very eye-opening in a lot of ways and it's also like very tender you know and it reminded me a lot of like our own trajectory this like late 20s like early 30s I have made room for women in my life you know and everything from the like the the woman only trip that you take and the the conspiring that you do together and all of that stuff it's just like so heartening one that that's like a very universal experience like I love that and I'm like yes there are like covens everywhere <laughs> covens covens <laughs> everywhere <laughs> I know covens 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 and also like women have been doing this shit since like time immemorial you know like oh surprise Yes. Growing up, I always craved, like I wanted more female friendship and never had it. Mm -hmm. But it's always like surprising to me, like the women who are like, oh, I'm a reformed mean girl, essentially. (laughs) And but also like it makes me like deeply happy because, you know, I think that like in this new moment of the friendship reawakening or whatever, the golden age of like woman friendship, maybe.
0: Let's be real, every age has been a golden age of woman friendship. But I hear it. It's you. true.
1: No, it's true. I'm saying, you know, like the like, G Chat Golden Age, yeah. my my uh the moment that we're in is that you know, it's like I think like even about that movie Mean Girls and how much we all enjoy it, but there's the sense of like, oh, we are so much woker now, like nobody would do this and whatever and I'm like, that's not true. This is like such an experience for so many of us. Like these stories don't come out of nowhere, right? But knowing that like those girls are not completely hopeless, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like People change. Hi, Kayleen. Hi, Amina. Thanks for joining us today on Call Your Girlfriend. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you because I was lucky enough to get to talk to you while you were writing your book.
2: Yeah, it was amazing that you were in this book. You were such a great part of it.
1: Um, Thank you. I want to talk about everything, including the title. Uh (laughs) Because... Which woman does not understand the 10 million meanings of text me when you it's get home? It's
2: true. It's absolutely true. The title, full disclosure, was not my idea. It was my editor's idea. She had, before I even sent her my book proposal, she had uh, tweeted, text me when you get home, like a story of female friendship, basically. And so when she saw my proposal, she was like, yes, absolutely, I want this, but we have to call it text me when you get home. And I was like, Absolutely. And then I kept thinking about the layers of the meaning of that. You know, it's not just about safety. It's about I will be there for you. It's about solidarity. And it's also like, let's just keep talking. We're home, but we might as well just I keep know, talking. Right?
1: I, I honestly like I hadn't thought about that until you until you wrote that in the book. Because I'm like, yes, I understand the safety implications yeah. of it, the I mean, solidarity the implications. But I was like, you know, like it's a lot. So much of modern friendship, I, <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> is built around text message and GChat. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yes, like such a great excuse to keep right, to keep to, the conversation going. Right. And there's just this like sense of intimacy, also,
2: mm-hmm. that is
1: like really built in. Can you talk a little bit about like kind of like your journey through getting? to uh, this understanding that, like, female friendship is, like, it's the main dish,
2: <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a long journey, honestly. Like, I was raised in Texas where, you know, men are your heroes and your protectors, and you're supposed to look to them. And that's just what I thought I would do. And that's who I was told to rely on. And, and along with that, I think, comes the idea that you're supposed to compete with other women because these men are limited, that you can rely on. And so I did that. Like, I I did. I thought other women were my enemy. I thought, you know, I had to be prettier and smarter than them and, like, that that I couldn't bond with them, that I really had to, like, separate myself from other women. And that continued. I did that in high school and that continued um, in my early 20s working in New York in the office. Like, I just thought to stand out and be promoted, I worked um, in a men's magazine with mostly men. And so I just thought, okay, I, I can't associate with other women. I have to stand out because only one woman can be promoted or get to the top. And then I had a significant breakup, and I started to look around and realize, like, I just didn't want to look to men anymore. And I looked around, and the people around me who were doing amazing things were the women I knew. And I just started to turn to them and found a support system that I just never really thought was there and was so surprised and just delighted to, to, like, to be part of that. to be a part of these strong groups of women.
1: It's like surprise, surprise, right? Yeah, it was really funny, like, reading you, because I definitely had women friends when I was growing up. I never felt that sense of competition or whatever. But I also never—I just never understood uh, female solidarity in a way that made sense. I think for me it was because I went to a high school that had more boys. It was just naturally there were way more men. And when I— when I started encountering um, women friends was in college. And I think that's something about that age, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, there's something about, like, making friends in your 20s and maybe even, like, into your 30s where you are – you're a little more formed as a person mm-hmm. and you're looking for – you're looking, I guess, for a different kind of affirmation. Yeah. I think that opens up that possibility of this can be a really lasting relationship in my life.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah, because before, you know, your friends are sort of transitory, and, you just, and you're just you looking, and the one relationship that I was told that was going to be lasting was, you know, the relationship with my romantic partner. Mm-hmm. But you know, it doesn't—it's not always the case, and it doesn't have to be. And I don't think that there's any reason to put that relationship on a higher level than any relationship with your friends, which is the point of the book, that we're raising these friendships up to the level of our other, like, more legal or blood or even work relationships.
1: Yeah. Another thing that I found really interesting is that even though you like came from this background of like women are you know like um, not having these like strong I guess connections with them, is that you still joined a sorority yeah. e- even though you quit. No, it's true. And uh, <laughs> I was like, this is my favorite thing. It's like joining and quitting. That really just made me think through how like some forms of female friendship are codified. You know, uh-huh. where you're like, okay, it's these women it's what are my I was competition. To do. But I'm mm-hmm. supposed to be in a group with mm-hmm. them and we do, you know, and this is not to say that sororities don't do great things. It's true. Um, um, I went to a Texas university. I know. So <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. But, you know, I think that that um, it's like the pressure that that puts on you is so it, it sometimes feels so insurmountable because there are just these roles that you're supposed to play.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I watched the girls from my high school who were going to the same college as me and we went to the same college. Um. they were going to join a sorority. So I thought, okay, well, I have to do that too. But then when I joined the sorority, I mean, it it is about female bonding to an extent. And, you know, this is my particular experience. I interviewed women in the book who made lifelong friends in their sorority and, like, continue to be very close with their sorority sisters. But my experience was my sorority was more oriented around still finding a guy there were all these rituals and date parties and and it was just all the social scene was mostly around men yeah
1: um which is you know and and the thing is that like there are some men in your book not that they're like fully formed characters but that still uh that are part of your conscious awakening like the story that you tell about that the guy who's basically like, hey, you're being mean to this woman, yeah, you know, and um, and that was something that I was really struck by, because I think that I I have like, I've always thought of myself as like, oh, I've been a little more progressive about this. But this feeling of like, when you think that other women are basic, you know, yeah. whether you, uh, you really like formalize that thought out, or you, you know, or you mm-hmm. keep it to yourself is, I don't know, I thought it was really important that you put that point in mm-hmm. and that we kind of unpack that.
2: It's true, because it's it's somewhere deep inside that we're or I thought that, at least not everyone thinks that, but I did, you know, I would sort of just like be really passive aggressive with other women that I thought were my competition. And, you know, my my friend in the book called that out. I mean he would say, Kayleen doesn't like other women. But what I heard in my like dumb addled brain was Kayleen is not like other women. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Which is not not what he was saying and not not the right thing. Like it it was true. Like I wasn't I wasn't wanting to or willing to be friends with these women at that point.
1: Yeah. And there's so many examples in pop culture I feel that like affirm that kind of narrative, the the mean girls' narrative. Totally. And I don't know, and and nobody really talks about the fact that like yes, like you can you can have mean girl tendencies, but you can change that. That mm-hmm. can actually change mm-hmm. because it comes from a place of I don't know, like having a scarcity mentality, you yeah. know, where you're like there's there yeah. can only be one Highlander, yeah,
2: exactly, <laughs> you know,
1: and and actually like you know it's okay that like people go through that because if we talk about these like uh, the narratives of like oh here's a different possibility of mm-hmm. how you can interact with women in your life. Mm-hmm. Actually actually you can get there.
2: Yeah. I mean even when I started writing this book, I am embarrassed to say that I truly thought that there was something in women that made them mean as a young age. Like really? I did not see it as a stereotype, which it absolutely is. Like there is nothing. There's no gene. There's nothing that makes <laughs> girls mean. That's just so ridiculous and yet it was just so hammered into me that girls are mean, which mm-hmm. is just the like the hallmark of prejudice. It's crazy, uh, one
1: like very significant relationship that you have is with your friend Ruthie, mm-hmm. our friend Ruthie, yeah, true. <laughs> who is great? She is great, and uh, yeah, can you talk? can you talk about your friendship with Ruthie more and how mm-hmm. that like informs the book and the like kind of the journey that you guys go through together?
2: yeah, Ruthie is um. I mean, I call her my soulmate, and she does the same. But that's just a way of sort of differentiating, like, this person is so important to me. Initially, she was not in the book as much. And, and after I turned in the first draft, my editor was like, I'd like to see Ruthie be more of a character. <laughs> and I sort of—I really—and she is. She's just, like, everything she says in the book is so funny, and she is so funny. Um, and I loved adding her in more. But I also—it was a little hard for me because I didn't want to just reveal too much about our friendship. You know, you kind yeah. of want to keep those things to yourself. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, I met Ruthie at work, and for the first time, I felt like, here's a woman who I really would like to get to know. And I found myself, like, oh, I want to impress her, and I want to hang out with her. And it just has become just this, like, she's become just such a rock in my life, and, and I in hers. In a way that's, like, it's so much beyond, like, just meeting for drinks or, like, whatever. I know that I can literally count on her for anything, and she feels the same about me.
1: I mean, and I I think that the—that's the thing that so many people can relate to, right? That there are—you can make women friends who— you have relationships that are to the level of, you know, like mirror yes. romantic relationships in your life. Yes. Because when you talk about Ruthie, you talk about the kind of the seduction rituals yeah. that you went through, which everybody knows
2: how that goes. It's true. How like, I goes. wanted her to <laughs> like me. You're like, yeah. I
1: want to be your friend. Yeah. I want to court you. You do that. Yeah. You have your honeymoon period. You have your your ups and your yeah. downs. We got but really the nail art. Right, you know, but really also there, um, you know, that person becomes somebody that you can count on, mm-hmm. but there is no legal framework right. or i don't know like cultural framework mm-hmm. for saying this person is more than my friend
2: right you know right and actually that is the point that you make in the book which is incredible the the way you make it because it's It's really disappointing that we don't have that kind of model, really, in society. Like, it's starting to emerge, and a big part of the book is the pop culture duos and best friendships that we're seeing on screen. And so, us telling those stories, I think, is an important part about getting this out there. You know, it may not be legal. It may not be the norm, but it's still, like, this is something we're starting to see. Yeah, But it's tenuous. It's obviously tenuous. There's no protection yeah,
1: and, you know, and obviously, like, Anne and I are, we, we're a public friendship. Yeah, no, no
2: kidding. We're, like, a right. we're public
1: friendship duo as <laughs> you're well. You're, like,
2: as close as you can get to legal uh, friendship. <laughs> you know, and I,
1: I identify with so much of that, like, um, you know, there's so much of ourselves that we share, but you're right about, like, there are things that you want to keep for yourself. Yeah. And there's something kind of uh, romantic about it. I'm, like, Anna's is so going to call me out <laughs> But I'm just, like, you know, it's, like, your, your relationship is important. It's yeah. really important. It's very intimate, and it ultimately, like, belongs to the two mm-hmm. of you and the ways that you shape it. But the thing that's interesting now is that in the background of all of these conversations, and I guess, like, a different kind of feminist awakening, is that you also have so much conversations about, like, girl squads and mm-hmm. BFF forever, mm-hmm. and it that is becoming commodified in a way that is... Um, it's just very jarring to see, right? Where you're like, yeah. Wow, we can take this like very intimate thing that we have and like cheapen it so much or talk about it in a way that has become like,
2: everybody's empowered and yeah. all women love each other right. and
1: you know, and it's like actually this is not what we're this is not what we're trying to do here.
2: Yeah, it's hard because female friendship in another way, it's always been presented as this real cutesy thing, you know, mm-hmm. like the high heel or the wine glass or the girls, like, walking down the street with linked <laughs> arms. And, like, sure, that's absolutely part of female friendships. But if we just are like, these are cute, then they just feel so disposable, too, you yeah. know. Like, I think the stuff like Girl Squad and and that is an important Step in showing that women really do like each other and that we want to be proud of these friendships. Yes. But if we just stop there, we're never going to get anywhere.
1: There's something just very political about women who spend time together. And mm-hmm. I think that we're seeing it so much in the response to the Me Too mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm. where like you realize that actually one thing that makes a lot of people uncomfortable is that women talk to each other.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know? And, I've been thinking about that a lot. And they're
1: just, it's like, yeah, it's like we we talk to each other about the creeps in our lives. Yeah. We talk to each other about work. We, right. you know, we do that. And when we live in a culture that basically tells us that we shouldn't know other women, I'm like, oh, maybe that was the design all mm-hmm. along. I mean, yeah. Is that they don't want us, you know, whoever they is, the, the DJ Khaled they, um, <laughs> doesn't want us like sharing information and sharing our politics and sharing our power. There's something mm-hmm. just so explosive mm-hmm. about that.
2: It's true because the the ways that we've been told to feel about other women with the competition— and just looking to men, like, that's designed to keep us apart. And it's interesting because texting when you get home is is a very quiet thing to say. It's sort of something women say to themselves, and, you know, I don't know if men say it. I don't think many of them do. And it's just a way that we quietly said, like, we're here together. And now I think it's getting louder, like, what you're saying with the Me Too, and it's saying like. No, women really are talking to each other. And in many of the stories um, with the whole reckoning and the reporting, like, I was always struck by how the reporter would confirm the woman's allegations with her friend, who she told right away, obviously. Right. Um...
1: What, I like, you've also, you did a lot of research in the book. It's not just, um, like, telling your own stories or reporting. There was actually, um, like, a, like, a lot of research around, like, the rise of female mm-hmm. friendship, I guess. What were some surprising things that you found?
2: I found out this goes back a long
1: way. <laughs> like, women have been <laughs> friends forever.
2: Well, they've been friends forever, <laughs> yes. But they've also been told they couldn't be friends forever. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, in the early Middle Ages, women were told that they did not have the moral fiber to be friends. Like Whoa. they just weren't pure of spirit enough, and they just couldn't have the kind of pure selfless relationship that men could have with each other. They were literally told they couldn't be someone's friend, and, <laughs> which, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you do then, there's this blip, which was a golden age of female friendship um, in the early 19th century. Where society said, in order to be a proper woman, you should have female friends, which is interesting that, there, that that period happened. But again, it was society saying to women, like, this makes you a proper woman, being a friend. But that quickly shifted as those relationships became, like, suspect, and then women were told to focus on their husband and their children Yeah, in the, in the like, 1950s. <laughs>
1: So many conflicting messages. It's true.
2: It's, true. it's like this whiplash of like, what am I supposed to feel about other women now? Do you now? feel that that
1: is, that whatever is happening now is something that has potential to like last? And you know, that it won't be a blip? It yeah. won't be this weird like, women in the 20th and 21st no, century I mean, texting each other?
2: I do because for the first time what I'm seeing is... This is women finally telling their own story because up until now, it's women have gone or accepted what other people told them they were supposed to feel about each other. Like even if you go to like the glory phase of Mm rom-coms when it was like, oh, your best friend is there and then to help you find the guy and then she disappears when you find the guy. Like that was the story. But now the story and now we have so many more female creators of all kinds of stories on television, movies. And so we're actually telling the truth about these relationships. So I feel like if we're taking that back, that that's something that can last.
1: Yeah, one of the questions that we get a lot in the CYG inbox, mm-hmm. even though we, um, I don't think we've done a great job <laughs> about <laughs> talking about, is uh, we get so much mail from women who have had like really big friendship breakups, mm-hmm. and the language completely mirrors the language of like yeah, breaking up with your course. significant other. And there's – one, there's, like, usually so much shame there because Mm -hmm. there's no vocabulary kind of to talk about it. Totally. You know, so the questions are almost, like, uniformly the same, like – my friend and I broke up. I can't talk to my other friends about yeah. it, but also like, am I crazy because, like, she's just my friend, and I feel right, all of this, you I know? And we don't, way. we don't really have a frame or a model for talking mm-hmm. about, for talking about that stuff. Like when you lose significant female friendships in your life, or when you, there is strife in your relationship,
2: mm-hmm. you don't. There's no grief ritual, you know. When you break up with a romantic relationship, people expect you to be sad. You're supposed to. Eat eat your pint of ice cream or you know lay on the floor in a ball. <laughs> but when you break up with a friend because we haven't done such a good job of saying these are such important relationships, you're just supposed to expect to be like, well, you can find a new friend, you know. But um but women don't feel that way obviously. Like it's devastating to lose a friend.
1: I know. It's like for me at least it has felt more devastating than losing a partner. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like, well, one of the other things that you write about that is so recognizable is that for uh, <laughs> for your birthday recently, yeah. you went on a trip with all women. Uh-huh. And I was like, my God, I've been doing this a lot. And a lot of the, like, it, it not has, has not been a point of strife with the men in my life, but it's definitely been a thing where they're like, yeah, you— Yeah, it's like, confusing. We feel, we feel <laughs> yeah. excluded from events that you right. planned. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, well, tough shit, first of all. If you, you want to go <laughs> somewhere with me, you should plan it. But I just, there was just something, like, really sweet and pure about that, where I was like, honestly, at any age, hanging out with all women is radical. It
2: is. The vibe is just different.
1: Yeah, but the thing is that, like, the older you get, the kind of the better it is, too. You Mm -hmm. know, where I want to go back to my high school self and say, you (laughs) think the sleepover is rad? Just wait till you're 32. That sleepover is amazing.
2: (laughs) It's true. It's very true.
1: What would you say to women who, which, like, I hope that there are there are very few women who do this now as a point of pride. But, like, what would you say to those women who are literally like, I don't have women friends? Like, what are they missing out on?
2: I mean, I thought that I was a guy's girl forever. I did. I thought, like, nope, this is who I am. And I think you really have to look at that and think, what are you afraid of? Why do you want to position yourself as a guy's girl? Like, what are you looking to do here? Because all women are not alike you know there's no like all women aren't lipstick and high heels and there's nothing wrong with lipstick and high heels too if you but why do you want to differentiate yourself from that basically mm-hmm.
1: One of the uh, one of the things that you explore too is like the panic that it creates when women are friends, in the sense that like you automatically get accused of being lesbians. Yeah, one like being a lesbian is a bad thing, <laughs> which is so ludicrous. Right. But also that like um, but also like affirming that actually in some friendships like that is true, and uh, I'm on the firm belief that like queer people have had it right forever and ever and ever. But like, can we unpack that a little bit?
2: It's an automatic go-to, which I, I really tried not to talk about that much in the book because I just no. people can think what they want. Just the idea that that all women friends just really are in love with each other is crazy, and men don't have to deal with that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just something about—I think it's just another way of dismissing the closeness yeah. and, and making it like, oh, no, this isn't scary at all just because they're secretly in love with each other.
1: Right. And I mean, like, we are in love with each other. It yeah. Is just, uh, sure,
2: it's just platonic. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's platonic, and sometimes it's not, and there's just, there's just such a fear about the power of, mm-hmm. like, what like the possibilities groups, that are there. Yeah, yeah women in groups, mm-hmm. just, they just—they talk, and then <laughs> devastating okay. things happen. right okay. <laughs> What are other points that you, like, really make across here, like, lasting cultural points?
2: At the end of the book and the conclusion, sort of just to go back a little bit to the friend breakup, I have a lot of anxiety over how can I hold on to these friendships? How can they stay? Because, you know, life's changed. You know, you do find romantic partners. You have kids. You move. You know, you change jobs. Your time
1: is limited. (laughs) Exactly.
2: And so, I, you know, I want to hold on to these people forever. And, and have these relationships be the same, like have them love me as much as I love them and be as important to each other, but they can't stay static it's just part of it no relationship can stay static but that doesn't mean or i think it meant in the past that you just have to like go your separate ways you know like my friends that i've been learning from forever like even as their life changes like i still want to keep learning from them you know as i watch them get married and become moms it's like i loved seeing this new version of her too yeah. so it's just i just don't think it's a matter of you always have to be in the same life stage to keep these relationships close also
1: it's, like, now that we're not in competition with other women, you're just in competition of, like, the the other relationships that they have. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah. it's, like, you
1: know, like, making time for your friends yeah. that are moms. Uh, I think a lot about, like, what it can look like to be really close friends with someone who is in a relationship and you're both fighting for the same mm-hmm. amount of, I guess, like, attention and mm-hmm. time that you can have. Like, what that means kind of for our community. And they're... Just like all relationships, I guess, communication is totally. really what it is. Yes. It's just it's that you have to talk about it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. unpack all of it.
2: And, you know, you want your friends to have everything, too. So it's not like anyone wants to limit their friends and just be like, no, you can only be friends with me and that's who you are. <laughs> you know, we're so many things.
1: I know, this is going to end with all of us living on a compound. Like that's, to me, I'm like, this is the only way, this is the only way I see this working. We all live on the compound. The men and the children live in like, one side. And we all share an accessories closet. That's my dream. <laughs> Kayleen, thank you so thank much you, for coming Anita. today. The book is called Text Me When You Get Home. It's out so you know what to get your Galentines. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts. We'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGS. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn pennypacker Our logos are by Kenesha Need. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delbeck. Um, Thanks so much for talking to us, Kayleen. Text me when you get home. I will see you on the internet, boo-boo. See you on the World Wide Web and the Lady Web.
0: <laughs> <laughs>